over the course of human history. There's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Uh, once again, except this time, she's in the house, ladies and gentlemen. The cat woman is in the house, Nancy who rescues cats and other animals, along with so many others out there who are listening, nameless and faceless as you are. But we have an hour of our own to save the animals who uh, can save us from the problems we can't deal with. And that's story number one, bar none, because, uh, Nancy, sometimes we talk about the news. Sometimes we give commentary about animal welfare issues. And in many instances, we are part of the news cycle. And I think everybody has called in this week to find out about uh, me uh, stepping up, volunteering to become uh, city's rat czar, and you going out right on the very block where the mayor, Eric Adams, uh, has a building on Lafayette in Bed-Stuy, do or die, and promoting the use of feral cats to uh, keep the rat and the mice population at bay. Can you sort of uh, give us uh, a rolling uh, view of what it's been like all this week? Uh, Well, good evening, everyone. It's great to be here with you in studio, Curtis. Uh, So the week has been uh, just very busy, and it's gone in a lot of different directions. But uh, how it started was uh, you and I... We showed up outside of the mayor's house. Now, this was after he got, I think, the second round of tickets for the rats that he has um, at the Lafayette place. And this was yet another opportunity because I've uh, multiple times tried to present this idea, not only to him directly in 2018. I went to, like, the rat summit. I presented this idea. But, um, you know, to council members, I mean, uh, the public has, you know, they do it themselves. But we were showing what you can do if you harness the power of the feral cats that already live outdoors and you make them part of a managed colony, which which means that you're fixing them, right? You get them spayed and neutered. You're providing them with outdoor shelters so that while they're um, outdoors, you know, they have a place to sleep at night because otherwise they'll be under a car, under a stoop. You're getting them their shots, and then you're maintaining them. So, uh, you know, they're, they're getting food or water uh, each day. You, you're able to maintain to see if there's anything wrong with them, and you're monitoring them. They know you, and they stay in that area. And by virtue of them staying in that area, they keep that um, location, whatever it may be. It may be within the confines of the house. It may be the property. It may be a few houses. But they keep that area free from vermin because they don't want to be there because they know that the cats are a predator. So that's how this started. And uh, the mayor was very amenable to the idea of us developing a cat colony of two feral cats right on his property. We visited, we observed, clear the violations were correct. And it wasn't just his building. Uh, All the buildings on the block there, they had 
you can see encroachments by rats and mice, and you can see that the rats and the mice had overwhelmed that block. So it really wasn't a reflection on him as an absentee landlord. And he was kind enough to say, sure, if you could put a, a two cats here, feral cats, and have a little uh, a feral cat colony to help uh, attack uh, the rat and the mice issue, uh, knock yourself out. It's pretty much what he said. Right? Correct, exactly. And, and then what I, happened well, as of uh, Friday? Well, yeah, so we, sh- we showed up, and we actually, um, you know, we were sort of, we brought the cats, and we also brought um, an example shelter and going through the explanation of it, but, you know, stating that, you know, where the goal is to work with people in the neighborhood who are already taking care of the cats and then assist them in forming, you know, these managed colonies. But right after he seemed so okay with them being there, uh, he just completely changed up and he didn't want them there whatsoever. But again, I, and and he didn't really give any reason why. He didn't give any any logical reason why. And again, this is really unfortunate because... This is really an idea that needs to be promoted. It should be utilized a lot more. A lot of people are doing it, um, not only in New York City, but throughout the United States and throughout the world because it works so well. And the fact that we're lagging so far behind is shameful. You know, we were walking up and down the blocks uh, earlier today before we came uh, to WABC for the broadcast from 3 to 5. And then so nice came back from Nine to what will be uh, about 11.45 when Dominic Carter will join us. And all we saw everywhere were these box rat traps, rat traps, rat traps everywhere. It does not working. It's yeah. not working. They were everywhere. There was a lot of them. But clearly the rats are smart. The mice are dumb. The rats are smart. The mice go into those boxes and they die. You rarely have ever seen a rat in the box because the rats, they communicate with one another. <laughs> they laugh. <laughs> uh, the humans are trying to get us sucking into those boxes again. Uh, we saw glue traps, no rats. We saw the old ancient guillotine, the uh, snap trap. Oh, that is a horrible way to die. No rats in the traps. But we did come across rats that had been killed by feral cats that are managed in the area, but not on that block. And there is a a misnomer out there in which people think that feral cats, when they uh, kill a rat, that they eat the rat. That's not true. They just kill the rat and they leave it there. And so we think we had a a good balance. And I must say that in uh, spending a lot of time there earlier today, we have spent uh, most of our time cleaning up the block every day. There's so much garbage. And uh, as some of the neighbors pointed out to us, and rightfully so, it was constructive criticism because the first day I was just talking about the federal feral cats. They said, don't even discuss feral cats. Somebody's got to clean up the garbage. And the garbage was overwhelming. I mean, we were filling up bag after bag of garbage. And so we accomplished that today after three days of not just cleaning the area of garbage, which uh, the the rats have a field day in, but also scrubbing like our grandmothers used to with the babushkas on their head, scrubbing the stoops, scrubbing the patios, uh, getting down there using elbow grease. If you got time to lean, you got time to clean with uh, ammonia, stringent in the water. And people were amazed. Wow. You cleaned it all up, and the rats are less visible because they're nocturnal. They come in, out at night. From 10 to 4 at night, the rats rule. They rule the streets. They rule the city. There's no doubt about it. 
And yet, um, whereas I volunteered to be the rat czar at night, so I could be out there with the feral cats who are nocturnal, the mice who are nocturnal, and the rats who are nocturnal. I've been now told, Nancy, that I have to report to City Hall to find this woman named Dawn to become an intern to learn about being a rat czar. Well, you know, what's interesting, I recall reading the requirements they had for this job, and one of the top ones is that you have to love to be in front of the camera. I'm like, that's right there. That job was made for you. Well, I, I missed... That was a requirement. Well, then I, That's I, your job right there. I'm lens lice, right? I mean, <laughs> who doesn't want to be in the camera more than me? Uh, you know, there was a time <laughs> in New York. This is before I met you, Nancy. I don't even think you were burst, but we have no idea how old you really are. That if uh, being in front of a camera was a crime, there would have been a jail cell in the 80s. And in that jail cell would have been Donald Trump. Al Slim, Shady Sharpton, the Schmuck, the Putz, Chuck E. Cheese, Schumer, and Curtis Sliwa. All four of us would have been locked up for being lens Like lights. a steel cage match. Exactly. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. On one side would have been Al Slim, Shady Sharpton, <laughs> and the Schmuck, the Putz, Chuck E. Cheese, Schumer. And on the other side would have been Donald Trump and Curtis Sliwa, even though we don't get along. There was a time, believe it or not, we were both given the highest awards by the New York State Conservative Party at the 69th Street Armory. And I looked at Donald. He looked at me. He was in his tux. I was in my red beret, my sateen jacket, and my guardian angel shirt. I said, Donald, what are you doing here? He said, what are you doing here? I said, Donald, you're not conservative. He said, Curtis, you're not conservative. And then Donald said the magic words, but we're going to get a lot of TV time on this. And I said, hot diggity dog. (laughs) You're right. So that's the number one requirement of being the city's rat star is that you have to get used to it being in front of a camera. Exactly. Oh, well, then, hands down, I'm the winner, right? Who's more <laughs> of a lens lights than me, right? No internship necessary. Anyway, let's open up our phone lines, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And I believe that today's labors resulted in us finding a woman who will take care of the feral cat colony and work with us to try to eliminate the rats and the mice on the block of the mayor of the city of New York who can't even get rid of rats and mice in his own building. How the hell is he going to do it in the city of New York? Question. What does it take to manage a feral cat colony? And what is a feral cat as opposed to a cat who goes in and out of a house or a cat who only stays in a house? Well, there's there's varying degrees of what you would consider to be feral, right? So truly feral would be a cat that's born outdoors. And again, they can have degrees of human interaction. But there's a lot of semi-feral cats that are running throughout the city. So these are cats that were once domesticated. Um, they were either indoor-outdoor cats um, you know, they never got fixed, of course, so they're going to roam outside, um, and then they wind up, um, or or someone decides they don't want them anymore, they release them. So they have some degree of, um, like, domestic, uh, like, human interaction, but the problem is they're not uh, deemed friendly enough to be adoptable. So, number one, like, you wouldn't, if you brought them to the shelter, uh, almost 100% across the board, they euthanize feral cats because... They make this determination, well, they're not adoptable. You can't bring them in a house. They're not. So that's problem number one. 
Um, when you're taking care of them outdoors, now, again, people get to uh, familiar relationships with them. So you could, you know, bring them indoors depending upon how long. But the idea is this is the place for them to be. They are outdoors. There's always going to be a degree of them outdoors. You have to get at the problem of just addressing the population. So what you do is um, the, the biggest element of managing the colonies is uh, once you start seeing cats that come around, if you start feeding them, well, they'll come around the next day and the next day and the next day. So now you already have a consistency there. Those cats are going to come around. The biggest thing you have to do is get them fixed. Now, you can reach out to organizations like myself, um, and there's other places that will do that, that will help you, assist you with that. But from there, what your responsibility is maintaining the colony, so however many cats there is. So what would be required is if you have um, enough space on a property that you have or if you live in, like, a common um, building, if you get, like, the, you know, buy-in from the landlord or the super, oh, I can keep a, you know, a shelter here, which is, like, a Tupperware box, like, 20-gallon Tupperware box. And then every day you just got to make sure that you put the food down, you put the water down, you check on it. You know, you want to clean up. I mean, those are reasons why sometimes people get upset. They think every single cat outdoors well, if you're taking care of them, oh, you're responsible for every can of cat food out there. So you ha- there's a lot of education and there's a lot of community interaction. And you're explaining to them whether you like them being outdoors or whether you don't like them being outdoors. It's inevitable that they're there. But here's how we harness what they can do. And here's how we make it so that they don't have a lot of those elements that you're not going to like, the fighting, the spraying, and thousands of kittens. Here's the the solution to it. And here's how it fits into the overall equation. That's what a lot of people see. I mean, the people on the block, they were very quick to say, oh, the minute this construction went up, that's as soon as the rats happened. So they saw it. So you put those two things together. Now, one of the big things that happens in the city with so much construction, um, I've been involved in a lot of um, sort of fights where people are trying to keep their cats there. And the construction, they're so adamant. No, no, you have to move them. You have to move them. No, but this is where they are. This is where they live. This is where they know you can't relocate them. This is a problem. No, get them out. The minute they get them out, and all the rats are there. So they have to start working, and they, and this is where the city needs to come in. They need to start demanding this stuff. You have to have – you may I mean, they want green buildings. They want green development. Well, here's a concept right here. You have to work with these people already doing this stuff. That was interesting because Bed-Stuy used to be predominantly African-American. Now you got a lot of white hipsters and millennials who have moved in, still some uh, tried-and-true traditional African-Americans who grew up there. Uh, I was amazed as we walked around from block to block and tried to uh, get people involved that the white hipsters and millennials looked at us as if we were dreck, as if we were like people of no consequence. Like, get out of our neighborhood. We don't need you. And the African-Americans, once we told them what we were there for, because they thought right away, oh, guardian angels, great. You're here to deal with the crime. Well, yes. But really, our priority is dealing with the rats and the mice right now. Oh, absolutely. And they would absolutely show us all the areas because he grew up there. Didn't you find that odd that these white interlopers from Iowa, where there are more pigs than people, Idaho, where there are more potatoes than people, were so jaundiced and so negative? And the people who grew up in the neighborhood, who knew the difference between then and now, were more than happy to try feral cats. You know, what? it's it, it does surprise me a little bit, but I I think there's an element of community involvement. Um, if you think that, oh, the government's going to do everything for you, well, they'll take care of it. They'll take care of it. I then once you start realizing, first of all, you don't want the government doing everything for you. They don't do a good job at everything, and you really there's much more power in 
community engagement, civic engagement. So here's a problem that the community can address. They, it would be great if the city was taking a little bit more proactive response, but I don't think they see that. They don't get that we need to work together to do this thing. They think, oh, that's something the city takes care of. What are you doing here? No, no, the city doesn't do a good job. That's why you need to be here. Who were the two cats that you uh, drafted <laughs> to get the effort started because they they dominated Both, the news coverage? Uh, Thor and Tiny. And explain a little bit about Thor and Tiny okay. and where they came from. Yeah, so Tiny is uh, one of the rescue cats. So Tiny was from the kill list at the Animal Care and Control, and she came from a hoarding situation. It was like 35 cats. So, you know, they – again, right, great scenario. This person was hoarding the cats in a bad thing. They took them. Okay, so now – but now they're in the shelter. So they're, they're all slated to be euthanized. So all, all the rescue groups came in because they weren't even making them available for public adoption. And Tiny was the last one left, the only one that hadn't been adopted. So, uh, And they weren't um, giving her available for public adoption. She's the sweetest cat in the world. This cat's almost like a piece of furniture. <laughs> it just sits – she sits wherever you put her. She plays. She, she, she didn't mind being outside. I mean there was big you know buses coming by. She was totally fine. Um, Thor is part of a – um, a group of four kittens that was born to an outdoor feral cat that we rescued, and she was so far along that she had the kittens right away. So uh, those four cats, you know, we're adopting those um, four kittens out, but Thor is one of the, from that batch. Yeah. Oh, they did a magnificent job. And in uh, reference to Tiny, you mentioned uh, coming out of a hoarding situation. When I would sit and have a sandwich, like an egg sandwich in the morning, Tiny would come over and immediately attack the sandwich. Because you, she must have been fighting with all the other 35 cats for any morsel of food. For months, she didn't, she almost didn't know what it was like to eat cat food with the cats. And she would steal your food when you were eating. And that was it. Yeah, because she she was immediately wondering where her next meal would come from because of a hoarding situation. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Then there's another situation going on. This is a real horror. We will be in uh, up in Little Neck, Douglaston on Tuesday at 2.30. We'll be joined by uh, three great people who are involved in animal rights. One is an elected official, Vicky Palladino, city council person from that area, Rob Becerra and Grace Navarro, who uh, run so many uh, animal rescue operations and go into very tough neighborhoods and actually get dogs released from owners who are uh, literally torturing them. and They have them at the brink of death. They'll be joining us. Other folks will. What is it that has all attracted us to this location in Little Neck? Uh, well, this is a story about uh, a cat named Cheese. That uh, it's an indoor/outdoor cat, and it came home and it had a, a crossbow in it. So this cat wound up having to be euthanized because they couldn't save it because of the extent of the injuries. Um, but now apparently. This has been a little bit of a phenom in this area for a while. There have been a number of animals that have been disappearing, um, including wild animals and feral cats. And this is the second time that this cat had um, like a an arrow piece on it. So there's someone out there who's specifically targeting animals with a crossbow. Wow, what a sicola. So in a place like Little Neck, which is tucked out of the uh, normal uh, sort of metropolitan, Politan, urban uh, scene, you know, where P- 
people are just piled on top of one another. You could conceivably stalk animals with a crossbow, probably um, in a car. You could take aim at them, beat down on them, and shoot and kill them, or end up maiming them and torturing them. It's a torturous death to have that arrow embedded into your body. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you happen, uh, happen to be out in Little Neck and you want more information, just go to guardianangels.org. That's guardianangels.org. Hit the tab, the Guardian Angel Animal Protection Division, and uh, we'll give you information on how you can join us because we'll put together a reward. We'll get out there massively, and we'll make sure that this individual or individuals, if they're doing it, uh, are arrested. This is a way that you you can stop a future sociopath. I mean, you'd already, this person's already a sociopath, but chances are they're going to extend this to humans. They're going to have children. They, they could have family members. I mean, it, we need to stop this person now. Yeah. I mean, time after time, studies have done been done on murderers, people who murder people. And they trace it back to the time where they were torturing or killing animals. People knew of it and did nothing about it. And this is why they need to start prioritizing abuses against animals because this is what this leads to. And, again, people seeing this, children having to grow up with this, animals being viewed as property is the problem. You know, they they don't take this seriously, but these people go on to abuse people. So you you really need to be honed in on this type of activity. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then another Cicola. A dog was thrown and then dragged from a stolen car on Long Island. It was just completely barbaric. And you say to yourself, wow, there's a lot of this behavior out there. And if you don't stop them when they start doing this to animals, you know doggone well they're going to escalate and they're going to do it to two-legged creatures, not just four-legged creatures. What are the circumstances of this horrific crime against this dog? Yeah, and this is apparently the... the the second time that this has happened recently in the same sort of area, um, a woman is uh, going to a gas station, filling up her car, you know, leaves a passenger door open, goes on the other side, and uh, someone drives up and then goes to steal the car. And in the passenger seat, she has her dog, who she had picked up from doggy daycare. It's like in a little, it's like a pocket or something of that nature. And when he realizes that a dog's there and he's driving away, he decides to throw the, the dog out the window, but the dog's collar catches on to the window, and he winds up dragging the dog. And, um, you know, good Samaritans had seen the, the dog and then were able to assist with helping the dog, but the dog might lose a leg. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's the story. Savage. Just savagery Savage. against this uh, dog. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then you showed me maybe the saddest video of all that I've seen this week. Uh, there's so many sad videos involving abuse of uh, dogs and cats and other animals. Young man, he's wearing a hoodie and a baseball cap, traditional kind of garb now, and he's carrying a, a pit bull in his arms. And I'm thinking, oh, that's nice. He's carrying the pit bull. And he walks over to this fence that has razor wiring on top. And he heaves hoe and he tosses the dog over the fence. The dog gets caught in the razor wire. 
it falls to the other side, and he very casually and leisurely just walks away. And the dog, all battered, all bruised, walks up to the fence, and it's almost like it's crying, like, how how could you just abandon me like this? The, the, the look in that dog's eye. Now, when you say that's a dog, that's not a human being, the abandonment, the the hurt, the suffering that that dog, because even though he had just abused that dog, that dog wanted to go with him. I think that video said so much. Uh, And that guy didn't uh, think twice about that. Yeah, I mean, thankfully, the the dog is now being um, cared for and showcased. And obviously, this story has pulled on a lot of people's heartstrings. But the dog's like eight years old, you know, so an older dog and... Unfortunately, I think this is something that does happen with people who, you know, they get dogs um, or cats or pets and they get older. They're not sure maybe how to handle them or they just don't want them as an older pet. And they, you know, they, they think nothing of of this. And, it, and again, it's really it's sad because the animals have such a bond toward them. I mean, you see it all the times with the animals in the shelters. And, you know, people, when they relinquish them, oh, I'm, you know, I have a new baby, I have a new house, I developed an allergy yesterday, I mean, whatever. I mean, these are traumatized animals that are really missing their families. Surrendering the animals. A lot of people are not aware, we can't say it enough, Nancy, when you go to a shelter, uh, and it doesn't say no-kill shelter, it's a kill shelter. Understand that. If it doesn't say no-kill, and you don't ask about that, they will kill those animals. They will uh, euthanize those animals. They will destroy those animals if they cannot find them another home, if they cannot adopt them out or foster them out. And that happens to many of those animals. And then they are under a death watch. Can you describe for everyone again when it comes to New York City's animal control shelter system, which gets millions and millions of our tax dollars, what are those roles that you and other men and women look at each and every day that's like death row for cats, death row for dogs. Yeah, no, that that is actually what it is. It's the kill list for the animals. So when they bring, um, you know, when they accept the whatever uh, relinquished pet in there or surrender, they'll make determinations as to adoptability. And this is another problem with the shelter system. They can decide for any variety of reasons, oh, this animal's not adoptable. Now, again, we were just talking about how traumatized they are when they first get to the shelter. You can't really judge their personality. So you might say, oh, that's not a friendly cat because it's hiding in the corner because it's traumatized. That uh, single decision right there can make it where the public can't adopt it. So then what happens is it goes on a certain list where only the pre-approved rescue groups can adopt it. That's like 120 different groups. So then they'll put out the list. Now, again, obviously, these are only a fraction of the groups that exist, a very, um, you know, and they're limited in their resources, too. When you agree to take one of these pets, they're not doing anything for them. So every single pet that we've adopted, everything you have to take care of for, for them with the medical issues. So when you get the older ones, it's like a full rundown of everything. They, they could come with, um, you know, issues. They might have surgeries that need to be done. Um, but there's a large list of animals that never even make it to the public um, view because they've made the determination, no, that's going to be too hard for someone to adopt. Hmm. And right away, that's a that's a very, very bad thing for them to be doing. So know this, if you decide that for whatever reason you have to surrender your animal, your family member, your friend, do not believe the hype that they're going to find that animal, dog, cat, or other animal, a place to live of their own, a new family, a new foster care, or 
adoption uh, family, there's a very good chance that they're going to run out the clock. Not because they want to, but they just they they have a time limit, and it's an assembly line of death. And you know, and just one quick thing too is like when you go to see the animals, because of the way that they showcase them, it's such a long process from the time you enter the door to the time you see a pet that you could potentially interact with. You're waiting on a line. you got to schedule some time. They, they, they pull the animal out of the cage. You can see it for two minutes. It's like it's a very odd way, and by the time you finally get to see it, might be so long. I mean, so, again, to, to really hem this stuff up to make it easier, to make the animals more accessible, to make it more viewable, more interaction, that's what needs to be done to get them adopted. No doubt. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. You know, earlier this evening, Nancy, we had the pleasure of uh, going out and having uh, dinner with our owner operators, John and Margot Katsimatidis, and their son, John Jr. And uh, John could just not get out of his head what we had learned when uh, we were substituting for Sid Rosenberg in the morning when he was uh, away with his family during the uh, holiday season. We had someone on from the Humane Society in Connecticut who gave us the figures that each and every day make that each and every year in America. Each year, three million dogs are euthanized, destroyed, and three million cats are euthanized and destroyed. And not because they're sick and they can't recover or they're suffering for no good reason. Absolutely. And he he was stunned. And then he said to you, Nancy, because you're the expert, what are we going to do about this, Nancy? And Nancy has come up with a number of ideas she shared with John and Margo and Johnny Jr. And we're going to try to put them uh, into uh, play to prevent that. That's a horrific number. Three million dogs, three million cats. I mean, it's it, uh, unfortunately it's become a bit of a business for some of these places, and this is why you have to aggressively do spay neuter. And this is the it's, there's too many of these animals being born, and time and time again they come into the shelters. I can't tell you how many animals are in the shelters, three, four, five years old, not fixed, and you wonder why the people find, oh, this animal, I can't control it. Oh, it's 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 going. Yeah, that's why you fix it. And that's where the personality changes, and that's when you don't have this out-of-control animal and you have, like, a pet that you can enjoy, that you really need to fix your pets. This is at the heart of the problem for this overpopulation. And as we've traveled the country to visit Guardian Angel chapters, uh, we've taken the time, whenever we're at a local uh, chapter, to visit the nearby shelters. We've done it in Fort Lauderdale and Baltimore, and obviously throughout New York City there are three of them. And you walk in, and the poor animals are shaking. They're terrified. They're nervous. Oftentimes, uh, the animals who are euthanized, it's done right next door. They can smell death. Their, their, their sense of smell is ten times more acute than a human being. They know what's going on next door. It is very much like it must have been in the concentration camps where you're in barracks. Mm-hmm. You can smell death. You know that all of a sudden people are being herded out. In this case, animals herded out. You hear the screams. You hear you hear the death wail of your fellow dogs and fellow cats. And imagine being stuck in that kind of they're using They're using the dogs now 
to sniff out cancers in people. So you know, they know exactly what's going on in that shelter. Let's go, if we can, to Jeffrey calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Jeff. Yes. Hey, listen, Curtis, you know that scene in John Wick uh, where that he got hurt up and everything, and uh, he went to this uh, kennel, uh, I guess like a shelter thing, and after he, you know, you know, took care of himself, you know, he looked and he saw all these dogs. And he, all of a sudden he went and he went to the cage and he saw this dog. He rescued that dog. And that dog was so loyal to him, man. I mean, all through the movie, I mean, you know, he was so loyal to him. I mean, that touched me, man. And um, I tell you, man, um, oh, God, I, you know, I, I just... You know, I, I just became an animal lover. I've been an animal lover, but that really touched me, man. You know, that that scene in John Wick. Oh, man, that dog was so loyal to him, man. That he would, he and his dog didn't even have a name. It just said, you know, stay. That dog will stay right there. And, you know, I mean, how can you hurt something like that? I mean, dog, that's an unconditional love, a, a, a dog, a cat. It's, it's so un- it's unconditional, man. I mean, oh, what can I say, man? And then, you know, Jeffrey, I mean, then to look at a dog in the case we described where this young man obviously had somewhat of a good relationship with a dog, don't know the reason that he decided to cast the dog over the fence, the dog got caught on the razor wire, severely injured, and then came up to the fence and was whimpering and crying, wanted to go back with the guy, even after he had abused the dog. It's that, like, yeah, we have, when I heard you talk about that, yes. That, I mean, that's unconditional love, man. I mean, how can you treat something, something like that bad like that? Well, a um, lot of times, Jeffrey, we, we found that starch young, children see animals being abused, Nothing's done to the individuals abusing the animals. And then they start out abusing animals. Nothing's done to them because they're not considered humans. And then the next thing you know, many of them will escalate to uh, abusing their own children, their own loved ones, co-workers, strangers, and some of them end up on death row. And you ask them, what are things that they have in common? They abused animals at a very young age, and nobody did an intervention. Nobody tried to stop them, and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. Let's go to Barbara calling in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour of WABC, Bob. Hi, Curtis and Nancy. I love your show. I love what you're doing. I, really, I have a friend down in Tennessee who just had uh, 14 cats, and she got four of them adopted so far. She's working with a foster Congrats. and everything like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she's, now she's got 10. Okay. <laughs> but what I, what I wanted to say to you is about uh, the marijuana. It's like, first of all, I personally am just so tired of here of smelling it on the street. I live on the Upper East Side and forget about it. I don't go out that often, but when I do, I'm, I'm smelling it all the time. But this is about dogs. My brother told me a story a couple of weeks ago. There was a woman walking her dog. Sounded like a medium-sized dog. I'm telling this story secondhand. And uh, the dog 
you know, put its head down to the ground, and she wasn't sure if it picked something up or not. But uh, she just kept walking, and it didn't seem like it did. And a couple hours later, the dog's back legs gave out. And then after that, the dog went into spasms and everything. She took it to the vet, and the vet examined it and everything like that. And it turned out that the dog ate a joint, a small (laughs) joint. But it wasn't big enough to do major harm, but it took about three days for the dog to recuperate at the vets. And I just was wondering if you ever heard anything like this before. It was on CBS radio where my brother heard it about three, two to three weeks ago. And I'm just devastated because I'm thinking of children and dogs. I had a little Maltese that I loved to death. That was my baby. And I just was wondering if you were aware of this or you heard of this. Well, Barbara, the more prevalent uh, thing that dogs would consume off the ground are these uh, rat-killing pellets that are everywhere. They consume mm-hmm. it, and it's a horrible death. They implode birds, other animals, cats, children sometimes. And I will tell you this, uh, I would say that's probably an exception to the rule. The real problem are the poisons that are spread everywhere. Yeah, and when I see people walking the dogs, and sometimes you see um, like a very aggressive collar on their face, and I'm like, they look like a really sweet dog, but I understand why people do it, because they don't want them to inadvertently start eating anything. They eat stuff so quickly on the streets. Oh, absolutely. Let's go to Hanifa calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Hanifa. Hanifa, and Happy New Year, Curtis, and the lady that's with you. I am so proud of you. This is a wonderful thing that you're trying to do. I think it's going to require community involvement as much as possible. Um, I kind of disagree that cats won't um, eat rats because in my neighborhood, there were a lot of feral, and I grew up with cats from the time I was a child. My mother had an Uncle Oscar, and he gave her a kitten on a silver platter when she got married in 1942. And Oscar was a female and had many, many kittens. (laughs) and lived to be 21 years old. But um, over here where I am in Brooklyn, there are a lot, had a lot of feral cats on the block. We still have some. Um, there was a woman who would come and trap them, and then she said she was giving them homes. But there was one that was a favorite of all of ours, and she trapped it, and we called her and complained. She brought it back. It was dead, a healthy cat. So, you know, that made a lot of our cats disappear. But there are people now who come around, trap the cats, they neuter them, it's a group, and then they put them back where they were, which is helpful. Yes. Of course, they, can, they can't get them all. They but are. I will say this, when a rat has babies and you rodenticide is out there, I mean, in our community garden, there were all kinds of holes in the ground and everything, and we would put rodenticide in the holes and then rocks, you know, because they had tunnels buried underneath. But then there was construction on the block. So, you know, that meant there were rats everywhere. Yeah, I think we uh, lost uh, lost to them. Oh, what happened? No, no, uh, just respond to what you said. Oh, okay, yeah, no, so, um, yeah, so definitely, um, let's see, so with, yeah, so definitely the community involvement, um, 
if if people are trapping the cats, obviously it's good because uh, you know you, you can't get them all. But yeah, if you want, if you're working with people in the existing community to make sure that there's someone there who's going to be continuing to care for them. And I think again, I think that's easy to to do if you do a little bit of legwork. So you're walking around the blocks. Once you start seeing cans down, I mean, you go enough times, you'll see the people who are feeding them because it's extremely consistent. So yeah, definitely community involvement. Um, and in, in terms of people who trap them. Um, you know, if they're trapping them and the better relationship you have, yeah, sometimes they, they grab them. You want to know who it is that's doing that. And uh, most people are fine with, with working with you and following up. I mean, I, I feel – I'm sorry about that situation that happened. Yeah, that would sound like an exception to the rule. That's very sad. Let's go to Mike in Queens. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition here at WABC, Mike. Yes, hi, Curtis. I have three things to say. Remember I told you about the, the delis that can't have a cat in the basement? The health department won't allow them, but if you if you get that law changed, then less cats will be euthanized because then dogs will have them in the basement. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that, Mike. They think that bodegas, restaurants, uh, fast food places can have cats. If they do, and the Department of Health does freak, uh, you know frequent checks, they will be given a massive fine, which makes no sense. One cat can keep the mice, the rats, and the rodents away. One cat, yet they would much prefer the Department of Health that you instead use toxic toxic pesticides like we had just described, which don't have the intended effect and oftentimes have, leave ancillary problems. This law has to be dealt with. We try to make a point this week in dealing with the mayor. Uh, that he must relook at these uh, prohibitions against having a cat in, let's say, the basement or the area of a supermarket, a grocery store, a bodega, a cafe, a restaurant, a fast food place, because, Mike, that is a remedy. Uh, you have two other points? Yes. Second point is uh, we call if you have a sick cat, for example, a sick dog, like say, I had a sick cat. He unfortunately had kidney disease. The only way you could get the cat food for that has to be a special cat food. And by law, you only could get it from a vet. And you can't get it that cheap. If a supermarket carried it, you could get it a lot cheaper. It costs a lot of money to get a, a, a we call food from a, a vet. That's a special kind of food, like say for kidney disease. If you can have the law changed, because it's shame people can't afford it. Those bags of cat food are so expensive, or dog food. Yeah, and I'm aware of that too because I had um, one cat that had to be on that type of special diet, and it required the veterinarian uh, signing off on it. And it's considerably more expensive because it has a, a a couple extra nutrients. But yeah, to your point, I mean, if that's something that's necessary for for them, it should be able to be purchased in a store and more affordable because people can keep their animals. And let's go finally to Sienna. In Manhattan, your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare uh, Edition at WABC, Sienna. Hi, Curtis and Nancy. This is a, a little bit of a con- uh, conundrum here. My husband is a superintendent in a building up in Inwood, and he has two cats in the basement. And what happened is they're not able to ward off the rats. Uh, I guess you would consider them really domesticated because they don't go out, <laughs> you know? And so someone saw someone saw the rats eating the cat food and told him about it. And I said, oh, my goodness, 
let me call Nancy on Sunday night to see because he's very good and very kind, and he would be able to take care of feral cats very, very kindly. And when you say that they should have a little house outside, that's no problem. He could build a little house outside with the food and with the water, but who's to say the rats aren't going to take over the house outside? Yeah, that Can sounds like so, that. And yeah. we're <laughs> no, those sound like some very friendly cats. The, yeah, uh huh. You're right. They let them, and then he even noticed that the bag of cat food. At one point, the cats wouldn't eat it anymore, and he said, "You know what? I wonder if the rats tainted the cat food in the in the bag." You know, so he threw all of that out. But now, how would we get two feral cats neutered, of course? And keep them outside. And then, again, the question is, when you build a little house outside, how do we know that the rats aren't going to go in the house instead of the feral cats? Well, yeah. Um, actually, I'm going to, uh, if we can get the uh, your number, I'd like, I can contact you directly because there are certain um, groups I can put you in touch with. Now, in terms of the feral cats themselves... If also, just to be uh, a little bit aware, I've been, um, I've, we've helped people in Inwood before too, and that's, wow, that's some of those, some of those blocks are really, really, really hardcore. Um, there's, and they're everywhere. So it could be that maybe those cats got um, overwhelmed with what was going on, and they've just decided to be friends. Um, but normally, with the situation, like, and this is why it'd be great if the city was really more on board with it. You have a lot of times where cats need to be relocated. Because there's construction going on and they don't want to maintain, the, the developers are very adamant. No, they can't stay. They can't stay. And there's always that issue where, where are you going to relocate them to because they are, um, you know, creatures of habit. So that could be a perfect situation. I could put you in touch with people who are looking to do that. And I can also assist as well. But, yeah, to your point, it could just be they've become friends over time. If people have any other questions or want to have uh, additional conversation with you about cat, dog, or animal issues, uh, how can they reach you, Nancy? Oh, they can go to guardianangels.org, the animal protection tab, or you can email me directly, nancy at guardianangels.org. And today was uh, the end of a stellar week in which we were able to bring relief to a lot of residents in Bed-Stuy, do or die, the neighborhood of uh, the mayor who can't even control the rat problems at his own building on Lafayette. He has intentions on trying to win a war against rats in the five boroughs of the city of New York. Can't do it. Nobody has ever won a war against rats. It's like a war on drugs, right? Either you have detente or you suffer a loss or you just accept the fact that Curtis Lee was more than happy to be your PM drug czar. Excuse me, cat czar. Excuse me, <laughs> rat czar. <laughs> At no cost to the taxpayers. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Oh, Dominic Carter, right now. If you weren't doing your show right here at WABC to 1 o'clock, before Frank Morano takes center stage, 1 to 5, Monday through Fridays, the other side of midnight, you could be joining Mayor Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan at Club Zero Bond. Here we go. 
Works all day and parties at night to the break of dawn. Here we go. Is it possible that you could do both, Dominic Carter? You're up by 6. You're starting your meetings at 7. You work until about 9. Then you go to Osteria La Baia, owned by those two crooks, those white-collar felons, uh, the Petrosians. And then they accompany you once the restaurant closes at 12. To Club Zero Bond, where you stay until about 2.30, and then you bag it at about 3. Is it conceivable that you could do both, Dominic Carter? I, I guess I guess it's possible. I don't see how one could do it. But, but let's backtrack. Let's backtrack. This is you and I talking right now. So I pick up all the headlines. The story has gone national between you and Mayor Adams. Did he actually curse you out? He wouldn't be the first nor the last, yes. I'm used to hearing F-bombs all over the place. Are you kidding? And let me give you the circumstances. Uh, He had given us permission to actually put two cats in a cat colony on a patio of his building. He is an absentee landlord who's been cited now twice for having rats build burrows right into his building. But it's a problem that other neighbors have had on that block, Lafayette Avenue and Bedstein. He got hit with tickets once. He decided to send incorporation counsel to argue them, which was wrong. It's a private matter, not a city matter. And he's got clipped again, $1,200 worth of tickets. And there's evidence of rat encroachment. It's right there. So I guess he figured, wow, Slee was going to take this problem off my hand And so we started to clean up the area. We started scrubbing it. And we started planning, okay, we're going to put the two houses for the two feral cats right in this area. And we were making room. And then two cops come up to us, uniformed cops on Friday at about 5, and say, gentlemen, uh, the mayor no longer wants you on his private property. Okay, no problem. You know, okay, we'll find another place to put the houses. Although it was a little disappointing. I go, I take the C train, I'm going home. And a person we all know, Todd Shapiro, he's sort of like the Swifty Lazar. He knows everybody. Uh, he's got friends. He's got foes. But he knows how to hook people up. And he's on the phone with me. The phone is uh, beeping. I'm at the station of uh, Washington there. And it's Todd. And I said, Todd, we might get cut off because I'm um, on the train. We're going in the tunnel towards the next stop, Lafayette. The mayor wants to talk to you. So the mayor, I could hear him talking, and he's going, what have I ever done to you, you know? Uh, why do you treat me this way? I said, stop. You called me a racist for eight months during the campaign. Stop this. And then it went dead because we were in the tunnel. The moment we emerged, we're now on Lafayette. Ring. It's Todd. Todd, I'm patching you to the mayor. He, I'm saying, I'm telling you I'm going to get cut off again. And this time he's in a rage, the mayor. I want you off the property. You walked into my building. You get the F out of my building. And then he said a few other words that were not decipherable because we were, again, going in the tunnel. So by the time we reached uh, the next station, Hoyt and Skimmerhorn, on my way to to the city, because I hadn't come here to do show prep, no more calls. So I texted to Todd, yo, what the hell was that in the future? 
give him my number on his dime, on his time. He can call me directly. I don't need somebody to patch through the mayor of the city of New York. And then he said, well, he was very upset. He's not going to do that because if he does that, there's a record of the phone conversation. If he has Todd call you, the call was made to or from Todd. And Todd was just, you know, he does this. He's done this with me before for the good or somebody I'd really rather not be talking to. You know, it's like. So, but I want to make sure I got this right here. Yes. The mayor of New York City lost his cool. Totally. And and dropped the F-bomb to you. Right. But. He thought we had gone into his building. I'm talking to Todd later on, like, what's up with this guy? And he goes, oh, the mayor called me back. They looked at the film because he's got cameras outside like the other neighborhoods. You were on the patio. You were you were scrubbing the steps, the stoop. But he saw you did not go in the building. Now, he didn't apologize, but it obviously chilled him out. So he was of the impression that we actually went into the building. Because let me tell you something. Even if we had violated uh, his private property, because we had permission to be on the outside, we would have found rats in the building because they're burrowing in. It's it, Look, it's natural. He's not alone. But you can't be the mayor saying you declare war on rats in all five boroughs, and you can't even manage the problem on your own property. So explain this to me. Why can't you two guys get along with each other? He doesn't like cats, and he thinks the solution is to drown rats. You know, when he was Brooklyn Borough president, he had assembled a lot of the um, paparazzi, a lot of the reporters. He said, this is the way to end rats in our lifetime, and he he drowned rats and ladled them out of a vat, and even the reporters were, like, grossed out, like, yo, man, that's like clockwork orange. You're like psycho boy. He got all upset with, well, I killed the rats, didn't I? Well, but, yeah, but, but it's not the way you kill but, the rats. But this is bigger than rats. Yes. What is it between you and Mayor Adams where you guys just don't get along? You mean we're like ammonia and bleach? Yes. I guess that's the way it's going to be. But he cannot just placate me away and patronize me away. There's a rat problem on his block. We have a solution, feral cats. He's tried every conceivable solution, and he's knocked himself out. Nothing works. He's tried dry ice. He's tried flooding the burrows. He's tried poisons. He's tried pellets. He's tried gas. He's tried everything. The only thing he hasn't tried, feral cats. And if you notice, he very much is like Trump. He does not have pets. Now, it's not unusual. There are people who they don't have dogs or cats or any pets. He's not a pet-friendly guy. He has no way of understanding how this works. So when the mayor used the F word, did you respond naturally? What did you say? We were in the tunnel. (laughs) What I wanted to say, I couldn't say. What would you have said? What I said in the New York Post is, look, you're the mayor. I would never assault you, but somebody talks to me like that in the street. You know me. I step to them. I'll knock you out right where you stand. Curtis, you cannot knock out the mayor of New York City. One, he has a license to carry a gun. Two, he has a full police detail. Hey, put the gun on the side, get in the ring, and let's settle our differences. So now you're challenging the mayor to a fight? If he wants to. <laughs> I mean, look, I don't intend to do any harm to the mayor. But you understand that that moment, 
You've seen me out in the streets. I have. I went up to the nation you're, of Islam. You're serious as cancer. And I challenged them, and they had me outnumbered eight to one. I said, yo, go back to Scooey Louie Farrakhan, you fruit of the loom boys.